<laughs> oh no wait apparently I so have steak no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i love it sometimes i just make myself laugh <laughs> johnny did you have steak i did not have steak <laughs> I'm not gonna ask about the other. I missed it. <laughs> the whole day is shot. We um, I, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I, I had ribs. <laughs> Julie, don't finish your statement either. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm vegetarian. You're a vegetarian. I said I had vegetarian. Oh, yesterday. Is that code? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Pursuit of Wealth, where the H is surrounded by abundance. Join us as we navigate and explore health and wellness topics from mindset to deep health to intentions and everything in between. We welcome you with open hearts, open minds, and with the hopeful intention that you'll become a tiny bit better than yesterday. Welcome to the Pursuit of Wealth, where the H is surrounded by abundance. Today, we are talking about food relationships or the relationship with food. And no, I'm not talking about bringing your hamburger on a date, although that does sound quite lovely. Today, we're going to get a little bit more deep into what that means to each and every one of us and how to break down some of those barriers that we have built up around ourselves and around our relationships with food. And today... As always, I have the most wonderful cast of characters. Johnny, good morning. Good afternoon. We're all a cast of characters. I myself am one too. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, everyone. Julie, good morning. Good afternoon. Oh, that's right. Good afternoon. <laughs> Julie is in the afternoon and Johnny is actually in the evening. Margaret and I are stuck in the morning. Johnny, don't tell us what happens. <laughs> <laughs> he knows the future. Shh. <laughs> so today, again, we're talking about the relationships with food. And as we begin this conversation, we had talked a little bit about relationships in the past, whether it pertains to food and, and how that works. Um, Margaret, why don't you start us off? Yes, I, um, I would like to start with a personal um, with a personal anecdote and how, how I've been, I myself has, have struggled with, with having a good relationship with food. Um, I can fortunately say that I have made peace with it. And, um, and when I say peace is mainly when I started years ago, you know, you tend to focus on the weight on the scale and, you know, like you, I, I tend I used to connect what I ate with my trainings. Let's say I had a good training session. I could eat. I could have a treat. I could, you know, I could enjoy. But every day that I missed that training session, let's say when I was in high school, I used to play soccer. So I would train twice a day. So that day I could definitely enjoy food. Um, 
but the days that I didn't train, I, I felt a little remorse or, you know, guilty about having that extra meal or that, you know, going out with my friends and enjoying a burger. Um, so that was like a, my, my personal struggle. And then as time has gone by, I can definitely say that in my journey, one of the biggest things that I feel I've grown is understanding that food is not a treat. Food is energy. And without it, I couldn't even wake up in the morning and get out of bed. So why am I even focusing on, did I train today? If I want to train, I got to eat. So, you know, it, 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 it has changed a lot. And, and when, we, when we talk about relationship with food, it comes to mind how even a lot of people don't even consider they don't have a good relationship with food. You take for granted food because you've had it, you know, you're used to having it three times a day or more if you're like me. <laughs> but it's very, it's very different when you're actually thinking, why am I eating or how much am I eating and how does that make you feel? Sometimes it's going to make you feel good and sometimes it's not going to make you feel that good. Sometimes you're going to see yourself in the mirror and you're going to say, oh my God, why did I eat that yesterday? And it's not really even that because you can't gain a pound overnight. You know, it's, it's all those little things that come into mind when you say, how's your relationship with food? And now I can definitely, after a lot of, a lot of work, I can definitely say my relationship with food is I am going to have a good training session. So I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Margaret, can I ask you something? So you yeah. talked about soccer and I'm just wondering if, uh, Athletes can identify with this or, or, you know, maybe you're listening now and you were an athlete. Do you think having the ability to go sort of full court press as a teenager sort of made it a little harder for you through your adult life? And what I mean by that is just because you highlighted when you were a teenager, you were working so hard, right? Because you could work so hard and your body, even though it needs that much more care, and I think his parents and things like that, we don't necessarily, we're not into the input versus output for a teenager because we see them just going full steam and everything's, you know, hunky dory. But do you think that that could have sort of changed your relationship with food in that sense? And I'm just asking you just based on what you said. Yeah, I, I cannot blame anyone but myself about that because I just didn't care. You know, it, we, as a teenager, most of the things that you care about is how you look. And, and sometimes how you look, you relate it with what you ate, like I said before. And, and I'm, not, I'm not blaming this on my trainer, but I think as my guide in my soccer career, <laughs> but you want to call it that way, if he would have told me to eat more I think I would but it was in my personal experience I was under such much pressure about right. performance that you give for granted like I said before you I took for granted 
the eating part to perform better. Because your body was just doing it. Yeah. Because you were so young. This is a very interesting topic. I'm, I'm hoping we can approach this actually as a full podcast because I would definitely love to go deeper in that. And the only reason why I say that is because I think there's a whole subset of middle-aged individuals out there who yeah. were former athletes that struggle because they cannot produce the way that they used to. And so that becomes a very sort of unhealthy balance within their lives between food and activity and how we age and, and things just change, you know, but, but also highlighting the fact that as a teenager, and I know I'm kind of going off here, it's so much more important to have these conversations. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying. Have these conversations with the teenagers yeah. so that they understand it and can appreciate it now, because there's no 90 minutes on the soccer field that says, yes, Margaret, have pizza. Yep. Any more than there is, you know, you'd go do a CrossFit workout. Okay, great. Have cake. You know, there, yeah. there's no permission there. It's, it's, there needs to be more of a balance between this punishing desire that we have on ourselves to say one thing equals another. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, for example, the only time anyone would mention even food is when I had cramps and someone would yell, give her a banana, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, why now? <laughs> why wait until I'm all crampy <laughs> instead of telling me, eat the banana before because you need the energy, you know, right. where your body needs the potassium. The potassium, uh, right? Okay. Instead of suggesting that there's a cause and effect to, yeah. hey, Margaret, this is why. What can yeah. we do differently next time? They just yeah. run you out of banana. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's I, I guess I completely don't know what that means. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might be better for it or worse. Yeah. But yes, it, it tends to it tends to happen when whenever you're or like I was mentioning before, sometimes you're just going out with friends and then you're thinking, oh, my God, what are, what am I going to eat there? Or is it OK if I eat this? Or then sometimes you go out with your and I'm and I'm going to be a little specific, but you go out with your girlfriends not from the not your friends from the gym but regular friends and then they all start asking or they all order a salad and i'm like man i really wanted that burger and you start like okay i'm gonna have a caesar salad with chicken but i didn't nev i never wanted that you know and then margaret's going home she's thinking to herself oh my gosh i cannot wait to have my burger when i get home i'm eating no, no, no. so many burgers <laughs> I, what I tend to do is, oh, my husband wants a burger, so I'm going to I'm going to take it to go. That is such an interesting thing that you bring up because I've talked about this quite a lot in, in my world because it relates. So you and me go out, Margaret. Now, right, this is just what happens. The four of us could go out. We go and sit down. We're all going to look what everyone else is ordering. It just happens. And then we're going to base our decisions based on what they order. So if I go in and I say, or if I say, Julie, what are you ordering? And Julie's like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely getting a hamburger. And then I'm like, yes, so am I. And if she says salad, I'm like, well, I'll probably get the salad. Yeah, I'm totally going to get the salad. Yeah. And we start making excuses for our decisions. And that happens quite frequently in social situations where mm -hmm. we are defending what it is that we're doing instead or, of just owning it. Or we feel pressured into something because we feel like there's some kind of judgment attached to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's almost, okay. If Julie orders a glass of wine at 
10 a.m., I go, oh, well, if Julie's ordering a glass of wine, then I'm going to order a glass of wine. You know what I mean? Like we. Well, that's what we do. It. I live in Italy. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in the same thing's true. If you are in a work setting. OK. And I, and I use this just because I think everyone can probably identify with it. And it's Margaret's birthday. And Margaret, they got her a cake. And so everyone's going to go sing Margaret birthday. Happy birthday. And then everyone's passing out cake and you say, oh, no, thank you. What do you want a diet? Why don't you want the cake? What? I don't understand. Can you not have the blue dye frosting? Do you want me to scrape it off? Is it the cookie crumbs? Right. And then it's like, do you not you like to... Margaret? Right. Is it, is it, is it about what she said about you? Wait, what? She said something about me. Oh no. I mean, <laughs> so it becomes this twisting pattern of, no, I actually want you to eat the cake. So it'll make me feel better about it. And then I'm in turn probably going to make an excuse for eating the cake. Well, I worked out really hard this morning, so I'm going to have this cake, but you know, you should totally have this cake too. And it almost becomes like this, like you need to make me feel more comfortable about my choices. Please have this cake. We create these really, um, what I want to say, not, not negative, but um, I, I can't, I can't remember my English today, but we create these really destructive kind of cycles for each other. And we perpetuate that just by feeling that need to have, you know, uh, adhere to some peer pressure or some social norm when we're around other people. But it, it isn't just that. I know when I grew up, food was used as a, as a reward or a punishment. I mean, when something good happened, we went and got hot fudge sundaes, my mom and me. And when I was, I remember being made to sit at the table and there are pictures of me sitting asleep at the table because I couldn't leave until I ate my broccoli or until I cleaned my plate. And, you know, we just learn that this food is this good thing or this bad thing. And we put such judgment on it and we give it such power over us. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, how do you avoid snacking at night? Oh, if I see such and such, if, you know, if I even take one bite, I just absolutely lose all control. Like food has some magic power and, and we allow it to have that. And I understand there are many reasons for eating other than for energy. And that's what I think the majority of people are focused on rather than food as energy or food as fuel. Mm -hmm. People focus on it because culturally, you know, here in Italy, certainly, and I think in Vietnam as well, Johnny and I've had this conversation is it's such an integral part of the culture to have special dishes on certain days of the week or certain seasons of the year or certain family gatherings. Um, you know, we've experienced a lot of that here and it's, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it brings joy and happiness and togetherness and that creates that sacred bond with other people. But we also lose sight of our, uh, what, how food makes us feel our hunger and satiety um, levels. We, we have to have food, especially in the States. Now people can't leave their house without snacks or without food. I mean, what if you don't, what if I get hungry? You know, yep. Oh my gosh, what if I get hungry? Well, you'll be death, actually <laughs> certain death. It's happened in death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we, we, you know, we do. And, and uh, of course, marketing has a lot to do with that because we've, you know, they advertisements teach us that we have to have this blue marshmallow cereal when we're kids. And then we can't leave home without a bag of this particular snack in our, you know, in our backpack, because heaven forbid, you might get hungry, hangry later. 
that kind of thing. But we, we just, uh, food just gets associated with so many different things. But that, I think that pressure that we, that we exert socially, you know, even culturally here, I've told, I've been out with some, some Italian friends and, and I tell them I, I can't have gluten. And, and so they'll just start shoving everything else on my plate, even though I say, no, thank you. I'm full. No, no, you have to have some, you didn't have any bread. So you can have this now. You need to eat seven scoops of Brussels sprouts because you didn't have bread. Yeah. <laughs> always making it up with those calories. Right. Right. Yeah. Just keep eating. Just keep eating. And mm -hmm. I think that I was actually just having this conversation with somebody on Friday where, you know, she's in a, in a managerial role and she says, I don't know how to reward my team other than with food. Mm -hmm. How many other people think like that? I mean, if we, uh -huh. like Julie said, we reward with food. So what are we doing when we reward? We're looking to show somebody that we care and that we notice and that we appreciate and or are proud. Where did our words get lost in there? Where did our words not become good enough? Yeah. I mean, truly, right? I mean, sure, you know, maybe in a boss setting, you know, you, you want to provide a bonus, you know, so maybe finding a different way to do that. But when we're talking about our families and, and things like, when did our words not become gratifying enough? Or maybe they are, and we just don't think about it. Maybe we don't assume that our words mean enough. So we have to give something else. We're soothing on to a more media-centric society, very quick uh, words of appreciation. But Sometimes it feels like words are so watered down or the meaning inherent to it, even from managers and not to typecast. But in the United States, when it's for profit, especially in the corporate world, yeah. those words, how genuine can they really be when there, there's so many other companies that, that it just creates kind of the stereotype of norm that okay, you're going to say some positive thing to me so that I can become more productive and work harder, yada, yada. And then at the end of the day, you're paid a lot more than I am. And I'm just a busy bee worker. But I got pizza. At least that's what my mother and, and so many other uh, friends and their family have experienced. Yeah. So I do have that personal uh, thought and reflection towards it. I guess yeah. one of the... One of the highlights here is perhaps look within your life and find where you celebrate with food and perhaps just think of another way to do it, even just once and see how it feels. Because we become so autopilot to doing things one way, right? And I think this lends itself to when we talk about food relationships, if I all of a sudden decide one morning, that's it, I'm done, I'm never eating carbs again, I'm never eating, you know, I, once I entertain that in my head, I've immediately put myself in a food jail. Mm -hmm. My mind exists in this jail where I suggest to myself, that's it. I'm doing keto. That's it. I'm doing this. That's it. I'm never doing that again. And so it becomes this very all or nothing. Yeah. And that's really the killer because we can't do all 
all the time. So we usually end up at nothing. And, you know, it's funny, this topic has come up now because I've just gone through um, some medical tests with my doctor and I have to change the way I'm eating pretty dramatically. And I had my own little meltdown about it over the weekend because I know this isn't forever. And I think I had to just slap myself and remind myself that that's the case. This isn't forever. But suddenly I can't have most of the things that were a part of my diet and I have to learn a new way of eating. And so shifting that focus, instead of saying, look at all the stuff I can't have shifting that focus is to say, Oh, what are the new things I can have? What kinds of new recipes can I try with, with these foods on the, you know, on the thumbs up kind of list, you know, and how will those make my body feel and how will I respond? I'm curious about that. You know, it becomes like a mourn. Yeah. yeah. And it becomes like you needed to mourn that, which is totally appropriate. Mm-hmm. But what you did, it sounds like is changed your language within that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because instead of saying, this is what I can't have, I think that's where we lose it. Yeah. Because can't becomes that inner child, like, no, you know, forget you, I can. So it's, it's kind of about having that balance mm-hmm. and understanding there's more to come and there's more things that I can try. So instead of taking a, saying we're taking away something, we need to rephrase it in our minds as we're adding something. Well, and that's, that's a really good point because with certainly with my clients, when, when somebody decides, okay, I'm embarking on this weight loss journey or I'm shifting to a healthier lifestyle, that's exactly what we do. We add in healthier options. We add in things that will help them get closer to their goal. We don't ever talk about taking something away unless it's something they really feel they have no control over and, and just have to stay away from. But generally speaking, when you add in the healthier options, when you add in the things that bring you closer to your goal, eventually you displace the other things. You lose your taste for foods that don't, aren't as supportive, that aren't as healthy, that are more highly processed, um, and that kind of thing. And I, and I think that our dieting, you know, I know we talked about weight loss in a earlier episode, but I think that's a really big downfall of our dieting culture, because it's about what you can't have. It's about taking away. It's about exclusion. It's about restriction. Um, yeah. Food jail, as you said. Yeah. You're having a conversation with someone else and then you ask them, what do you think it's your relationship with food? And typically everyone would say, oh, my, my relationship with food is great. But then once the conversation starts going, then you, you kind of run into these little insights that they're like, oh, yeah, yesterday they had these amazing cookies. And, you know, I tried one, but once I had one, I was like, why am I not going to have all of them? your actions with, oh, I have no willpower, you know? Yeah. And I'm going to be one of those. Like, if you put food in front of me, probably I'm going to eat it. Because <laughs> yeah. I have a very poor willpower. But once I'm set on something, and I am, I am one of those that I'm really all or nothing. Um, and, I, and I don't see it as a bad thing. I just have different goals, and I just go for it that way um i just i just do it but at the same time it's it's all those little things and you're you're talking with them and and you're like oh my god but you need you need to eat more carbs 
And they're like, oh, no, no, no. I finally lost 10 pounds. And, and if I eat more carbs, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to gain that weight back again. And I, I've been eating a low carb uh, diet, but at the same time, they're not eating enough fats to compensate. And, and you, and you kind of mentioned those little four letters, carbs, yeah. and everyone's freaking out about it, but they have a great relationship with food. Don't, don't, we talked don't. about that earlier with marketing and how powerful it can be. Yes. And again, kind of going back to the American market since what was it since the 50s yeah. or 40s when the food pyramid and the entire food industry started to become as profit uh, for the farmers and the meat industry, the dairy industry and the carb, the grain industry. That's really when the marketing for carbs for cereal-based products uh, began. And it's interesting if you read food politics, it comes into the whole history of it. Um, I think we'll leave that for a later podcast. But through each decade, they kind of change the guidelines and how much grains you should eat or restrict with a battle between the milk, the dairy, the meat. So there were some decades where if it said you should eat far less grains in proportion to the meat industry, the meat industry would come up to um, those that are making the pyramid and buy off for the next year to try and get that higher amount. Yeah, whoever, whichever lobbying group had the most, uh, the loudest voice and the and the biggest wallets tended to to sway that. I have to think there's a. Um, in addition to food politics, there's a there's a book that's written, and I have to find what it who it was. I read it some years ago, and it's a woman who was called in to design a new food gu food guide, not pyramid, but food guide or healthy plate. And when she what she did was she talked about you know how people are eating too many sugars and too many highly processed foods and um, various things. So she put together what looks like a really good balanced healthy plate for most people. And the government said, no, we can't use that. Well, why not? Because the dairy industry, you know, has this interest in the, in the, yeah. In your relationship with food, nor am mm -hmm. I, nor is anybody else listening. How can we be when there has been these ideals plastered in everything that we do, right? So how can we not have these unhealthy relationships with food? Sure. And I got to be honest, I don't know a person who has a healthy relationship with food, you know, because I, I feel like unless you've spent time learning and understanding, it doesn't organically happen because of the society that we live in. Can it you get there? Absolutely. Sure. And I think it's understanding that too, right? Because we've talked about, you know, food relationships as sort of a negative thing. So perhaps maybe we can spend a little time breaking down some of those barriers so that any one of our listeners can understand the four of us have had a healthy relationships with food. I think you've heard it if you've heard any of our podcasts. And it's not to suggest that we're better off than anyone listening. It's just to suggest that honesty and that awareness. Because like, again, what Margaret was talking about, she said, now she knows she doesn't have that willpower, but she chooses. It sounds like what you said is you choose. You choose today. I'm not going to have the willpower. No problem, Margaret. I'm not punishing you. Uh, you are not bad. 
you're not anything except for aware. You're aware that you're going to have these cookies and that's okay. Yeah, definitely. For, for example, uh, a huge tool that has really helped me, um, and it might not be for everyone, but what really helped me was journaling, you know, my food. I, I do have a diary and it's, it's actually amazing how aware of everything that I used to eat. You know, be, when I started journaling, I, I, I would look, I would look into it and I was, I felt aware of what I was putting into my mouth before I didn't journal. I just didn't, I just thought I was eating healthy or I just thought that I was eating enough. But once I started putting it down in paper, I, I kind of started looking at where I was, you know, I'm eating a lot of this and less of this. Not saying that I'm eating better or worse. I'm just inclining more towards this direction and I should be inclining more into another direction to get to my goals. Can I ask you, Margaret? Yeah. Do you attach that to feelings also? Meaning, did you use that in your journaling process? Also, in your diary, did you write, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret? <laughs> I, I started- It's about every, my favorite line. <laughs> every single day, I would write that at the beginning. Okay. That just makes me feel so good. Yes. Anyways, did you write like a feeling <laughs> that you associated with it? I actually, on my journal, personally, I do not like to write my feelings because I, I don't know, uh, but I do have a coach which I tend to discuss how I feel with her. Um, so you have an outlet for the feelings. Yes. I, every, I, I do relate, like everything, I, I do relate emotional eating. I do relate a lot with emotional eating. For example, I don't know if I said this before, but when I was in quarantine last year, um, I, was, I was going through an injury on my hip. And then everything was shut down, even my chiropractor who was treating my hip. And I just fell into a little bit of a depression because I couldn't work out. And that's how I get my energy out of my system. Uh, you know, if I don't work out, I really don't sleep at night. Uh, I, and I, and that's, very, that's very personal and that's with my living experience, but... I couldn't work out because I was injured. And the only thing everyone was doing was going out for a run, which I couldn't even do. So, and I was really bad in a, in a way that I couldn't even stand on that, on that leg, even to put on shoes. I couldn't, I, I, I was in really bad pain. So what really happened was my husband would tell me, Hey, let's do a home workout, you know, cause we have a little bit of a equipment at home. And I, I, I was depressed and my fix was eating. I literally, I gained 12 pounds on the first six months of quarantine because I wasn't exercising and because I was letting my feelings out through food. Um, so yeah. I well, and so when you're talking about being injured and forgive me, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but mm. I feel like this is so topical right now we're talking about COVID, we're talking about people being depressed, we're talking about people being stuck. We're talking about people revisiting the way that they probably worked out into something totally new. And I think that there's also this group and 
of individuals, and I was one, that if I didn't work out or if I didn't work hard enough, that equated to some sort of food belonging or identity with food, right? In my journey now, I've actually worked out less and I do it for a reason so that I know it's okay. Mm -hmm. So that I'm not punishing myself with food for working out and I'm also not punishing myself for not working out. Does that make sense? So instead of spending five days a week, at least an hour breaking, you know, so much sweat, I have to drip this much in order to feel good about myself or perhaps I didn't work hard enough. You know, I've taken that off the table for me. And that's part of my sort of enlightened journey to understand that food is just food. Workout is just workout. I love to do both, but it's okay, you know? And when we look at food in the relationship, right? Because what you're talking about is, well, you got injured. You couldn't work out anymore. So everything fell apart. How do we protect that in the future because every one of us especially who's an athlete or trains is gonna have to ride the bench yeah you know and so how do we protect that for ourselves how do Uh, we how do we offset that because again you can't out train a poor diet you can't out bike a fork no and that was exactly what i was going to say so after like the third month that we weren't going back you know, when I think everyone kind of realized we were stuck at home and this wasn't going back to normal in any, in any period, and, you know, soon, um, I was like, I kind of remembered that nutrition and healthy habits are really built on the kitchen and not on the gym. 75 yes. to 80% is in the kitchen and not at the gym. So I was like, yeah, you can't work out, but you can really focus on what you're putting into your mouth. And, you know, I started understanding also that I was stressed. You know, if we were in lockdown, we, we just didn't know what was happening. I couldn't work out. And my husband and I were stuck in, at home and, and we just didn't understand what was really happening. So stress was a huge factor. Mm-hmm. And then not working out was stressing me even more. And then, I don't know. And it, it was just more of a understanding, okay, you can't control what's happening in the world. You can't control that your hip is not where it needs to be. But you can control what you're eating and what you're doing with your day. Feeling productive, you know, eating better getting back to like a routine because we were out of a a routine. Right. You know, I didn't even have, I didn't feel like even getting out of bed. So it's all the little things that you can control, but at the same time, it comes back to resetting and getting into that mindset of my, like my food is not, when I'm working out or if I'm not working out. Your food is not limited to your workouts. And it sounds like you punished yourself, which is probably a very real thing for people. When we say I'm hurt, my body fails me. I'm failing my body at the same time because I can't work out, but I'm still going to eat except for we need to eat, whether we train, don't train, work out, don't work out. Right. So almost to a certain degree, I would say, for me, if you're on a journey 
that sounds remotely familiar to anything that we're discussing, stop working out even just for a week or two and focus on the food and then find a way to integrate and marry the two that's far more comfortable so that there isn't this punishing desire for yourself. Because if you're replacing it for joy, if you're replacing it for happiness, if you're replacing it for sadness, those are all very real feelings that you've attached to food, but literally have nothing to do with food. Yeah. And I think we've become lost at, as I said before, not only tuning into our physical feelings, but also our emotional feelings and being able to just sit with them for a little while instead of having to stuff them down, you know, or feel, and I mean, there are all kinds of different emotional reasons for eating boredom, you know, and there are some people who have disordered eating that actually needs the support of a counselor or therapist to work through those issues because it, it is something that is, is quite serious. And I'm not talking about eating disorders like anorexia or bulimia. I'm talking about disordered eating, a less balanced relationship with, with food, but we give, we, we, we decide the food is good or bad and therefore we are good or bad for eating it. And, and I think like my little journey over the weekend was just all of a sudden coming into terms with, okay, now let's be curious and start seeing how do I feel when I eat this different way instead of, oh my gosh, now I'm, you know, on this really restricted diet or whatever. But, but, but being able to acknowledge that it isn't good or bad, there's no judgment there. It's just food. And when we have busy, active, productive days, we need more than we do on days when we're sat inside at the desk all day or in lockdown. Um, and that's okay because we, it isn't that we can't ever have it in. There's a big fear of missing out, right? There's that right. bag of chips. And if I don't eat it, it's just going to be there tempting me. As I think that in to... itself is a disorder. <laughs> yeah. In, well, and, and, in inanimate objects that are more powerful than you could assume. Yeah. And how can it not, again, in, in, the, in the, where we live, how we live, how can it not be, right? And so it's up to us to fight back, not, I don't want to necessarily say fight, but to give that power back. There, I was just going to say, there is actual scientific research to show that um, action of chewing releases neurotransmitters that make us feel better. And when you think about it, if a baby cries, it gets something stuck in its mouth. You know, when, when kids fall down and have a boo-boo, what do they get a, a cookie? You know, we just, it just is so, it's so ingrained in us. When you work in insurance, you have gum. Yeah. <laughs> yes. To make is, somebody else feel better, we need to provide them this. Yeah. So, some kind of nourishment. And, and right. so, so being able to, to step back and just observe that, like you said before, just being aware. And it's no accident. It's no accident. When you buy a bag of cookies, you open one and you cannot stop. That is not an accident. That is what is supposed to happen because of the dopamine in, you know, the sugar, the response, you are not, you are not alone. We will all do the same thing because of that response within our brain. It literally cannot shut off. There's a reason why food is the way that it is when you purchase it. Now, if you were to bake something at home, I think that that's a little different. You know, you bake some muffins, you use coconut sugar, you use some of the sugars that aren't as stimulating and you'll find that ability to stop if your brain is being honest, you know, because there is that awareness to it. Mm -hmm. You can stop versus store-bought muffins, store-bought cookies because they're designed and they are made to want, make you eat the whole thing. 
to not be able to stop. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. It's intentful. Yeah. There's billions of dollars in research that go into how to make that happen between right. the food, the mouthfeel and the taste, the chemical combinations of, of flavors. And then it's all, of course, in the marketing. To the children. So, yeah. <laughs> Mostly. Yeah. Unfortunately. Margaret talked about the kitchen is where it starts. I like to say that feelings is where it starts going underneath because if we don't have that in check and if it's not part of our not not part of the, our internal dialogue of what is comfortable uncomfortable as you mentioned Tiffany or what is healthy unhealthy what is beneficial to ourselves and having a deep knowledge of that or a deep appreciation and acting on that consistently then we are more prone to make those unhealthy or unbeneficial choices for us. And then that goes into the kitchen or the buying decisions um, at the supermarket, where again, that's by design, by billions of dollars of research in the industry. I mean, besides all that, um, you know, it, it is a very fine line and kind of expanding it to culturally, you know, um, since Margaret is from El Salvador and I live in Vietnam, we both have had experience of going to these smaller markets where you just don't find as much junk food you know you go to a market at least here you see a pig okay the pig was slaughtered you can hear that or you see the chickens live chickens that you can buy from the market and you can butcher them yourselves you can uh, defeather it and that's kind of your meat fish uh, you know there's a lot of lakes nearby where the fishers go to get their fish the same thing with the vegetables. Not as much money is pumped in for the farmers to make uh, fruits and vegetables big, luxurious, and to be selling all across the country, but it still happens with the pesticides that are in. But besides all that, we have a better chance in getting the foods that are healthy for us. Um, that food is so yummy, so tempting, uh, unsatiating, but it just is full of flavor and temporary... Um, what's the word? Temporary gratification. Hints mm -hmm. of dopamine. Yeah. Yes. That it is a continuous buy market to get into. But that's why we on this podcast are trying to give a variety of perspectives and also that knowledge base in what we're trying to provide for our audience. Because if not us or not, you know, podcasts like us, whatever you prefer, then there just becomes far more confusion in the industry yeah um and then again those that want to lose weight but don't know how or know how but don't have any guidance will basically date with food programs or date with their own diet date with their own body and going through these seasons of happiness unhappiness mm -hmm. um through that place in hibernation you know getting through the dark days until they rise up to spring wanting to get that beach bod for the summer and then going again. It's the same cycle. And it is, and it is. It's a, but ultimately it's about being willing to, to learn, being open and curious and making choices. Because uh, I know I've had some people, um, I've talked to some people, potential clients, and, and they just say, just tell me what to eat. But how long does that last? Before is they stop talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You it's, know, and to, to Johnny's point, I was just, sorry, Julie. But when we talk about, you know, food and the choices that we make and things like that, 
it, it's become a very negative thing, right? But so just for one moment, I want to highlight the world that we live in, in the choices that we have in a good way. Because mm-hmm. of the world we live in, we have the opportunity to change. Now, it might take a little bit more thought. It might take a little bit more planning. But because of where we live and how we live, we get to choose that. We are not limited to the berries on the trees. We're not limited to what's in our backyard, right? There's a whole world of food and options out there that we get to choose. And so I just wanted to spend a minute just talking about that because in Julie's, like for instance, Julie, you talk about this change within your diet. And so it's gonna probably take a little bit more thought, a little bit more planning, but because we live in the world that we live in at the time exactly that we live in it, you can do it. I can do it. And I have an amazing variety of choices around me. There isn't ever a time where I can't go somewhere and find food. And I know not everybody is, is that fortunate, even in the world today. But generally speaking, food is mostly available. It isn't that we're going to starve if we don't get it. It's exciting because we can have almost whatever we want. And then we, when we learn to pay attention to how it makes us feel and we can experiment some more and we can learn how to, how to cook it in different ways. And I think it's also really great because it allows us to simplify. We don't have to have complicated recipes. We don't have to buy special packages of ingredients or special packaged foods. We can simplify, especially for, again, we talk a lot about weight loss, but that's what so many people are focused on, especially this time of year. As Johnny said, it, instead of going on some special diet and counting and balancing and, you know, worrying about weighing your food and all of that, um, just simplifying down to the basic macronutrients, good protein, lots of vegetables and fruits, you know, healthy fats, cereals, and if having, you can eat. Them. And having a balance between the haves and the haves nots, mm-hmm. you know, and understanding that there's a balance that exists between, and it doesn't ever have to be just one thing. The have nots don't necessarily need to be negative. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's choosing between, right? Yeah. It is a choice. If you have a gluten allergy, it's still a choice. Mm-hmm. If you have a dairy allergy and not, it's still a choice that you are making. And something that I've sort of, I don't want to say attached to, but something that I've highlighted, you know, instead of putting food into a category of good or bad, I'd like to see it more on this sort of continuum of looking at your diet, what you deem is healthy and seeing where things fit. Because in my opinion, there's always a good, better, best. Yeah. This is the best for my health, for my journey is to not have gluten. Right now for Julie, there are things that are going to be best for her, right? For any of us. And it's understanding like, okay, so if I want this one thing, it's, it's a good option. And then I say, well, perhaps there's a better one where I can still have it, but maybe have it in a different way. Right. So instead of maybe having a store-bought cookie, maybe I'll make the cookies. Oh, maybe the best choice is just having a piece of chocolate. And I can't determine what that good, better, best is. It's more of just to highlight this and just to understand that it's never just one thing. And we all have to try on different things for ourselves because they're all going to fit us differently. And it's not a constant measurement for ourselves either. No. Good, better, best no. for today, for this month, for this for this moment. Season, for this age. <laughs> yeah, for this for this moment. So 
can I just, you know, maybe we can just run through the, the four of us here and just, you know, tackle, how would you look at updating, upgrading, uh, you know, providing awareness to your food relationship as it relates to yourself and or our listeners? Um, I well, trying. I wanted to give a, uh, a coaching tip for uh, the listeners out there. And that comes to the red, yellow, green list. Yeah. of what foods are on a green list, ones that we should always eat, those that are beneficial to us. Yellow is the sometimes foods that uh, may be uh, beneficial sometimes, but not an everyday food. And then the red list is ones that we can say no to, not going there. How would you, for either yourself or for you know somebody in your circle that came to you and said, hey, hey, Johnny, I have this you know, unhealthy relationship with food, which already, if somebody does that, they're already aware. So when we're talking about a food relationship, how do you become more aware? Any one of you, I want to sort of, you know, well, address that question. to I can, I can address that easily sure. because one of the things that came up for me is um, just doing food journaling. I hate writing down my food. It's a thing for me. I am as opposed to it and I will fight it tooth and nail, but I did it because I wanted to really get a good look at, at reality. And, and sometimes we avoid those things because they're uncomfortable. We don't want to know what reality may be saying, but what I found was, and I have a pretty healthy diet by my own definition. What I found was I was eating far less protein, not only than I thought I was, but that my body, than my body needs. And had I not written that down and kept track of it, I wouldn't have understood that. And that's kind of been a big part of the impetus behind the changes that I'm, that I'm having to make now. And so now I have a better idea of what that looks like. And I have a better idea of what that feels like. Because once I started eating a better balance of protein in my diet, suddenly I had more energy. I didn't want to snack in between meals because I was full. I felt not stuffed full, but I, I came a lot closer to understanding that 80% full sensation and just feeling satisfied. Didn't yes. have afternoon slumps in my energy anymore. You know, it just did so many things. So once I could see that on paper and then relate it to how I was feeling on a daily basis, it was very eye-opening. Yeah, and I think it's, it's important because... Like for example, if you're a if you're a, a business owner, you really don't want to look at the numbers, how well you're doing or how in depth you are. It's just something, it's a fact. You just don't wanna because you feel like when you're writing it in paper, it, you gotta realize what you're doing wrong, good, where you need to, you know, get better. Mm -hmm. But it does give you that awareness. And when I when when <laughs> And it's funny because I know typically people don't recommend tracking food because they're going to say you're going to get obsessed over it. You're going to, you know, why are you wasting so much time? I really don't spend that much time tracking my, my food. For me, it's a, a great tool exactly for that to understand how much protein I'm eating. For example, for me, one of my biggest goals, daily goals is reaching my 25 grams of fiber. How am I even gonna know how much fiber am I eating if I don't write it on my journal? And I don't realize maybe I should eat, instead of eating this, uh, let's say white rice, 
I should be eating a little bit of garbanzo beans to get that little extra fiber. And that, you know, that's when I'm saying I'm not changing this over this because one of them are bad. It's just going to make me feel better. It's going to, it's going to get me closer to that personal goal, which is like for, for every day for me is reaching that 25 grams of uh, fiber, you know? And if you don't have that awareness, after a while, you get the hang of it. You kind of get those little combinations that get you through that goal. And then if you feel comfortable with it, you don't need to keep tracking, but you need that starting point. And you need to know where you're at and where you need to work a little bit more. Um, so the journal definitely for me also, I would, I would say it's a great starting point. It's not something yes. you need to stay doing forever, but at least you, know, you need to know where you're at in that current moment. There have been some seasons uh, in my life where I have had to journal much more often, um, both for my food, my feelings, my actions, in reflection and I'm one that needs to decompress before I give that out. Maybe it's uh, being more intrinsic. Maybe it's uh, just trying to have some clarity in my thoughts because otherwise I'm pretty muddied up there. Um, but as far as right now to your question, I don't do much journaling. Um, I might do some web ideas. But if a client comes to me or if I came to myself in a reflection mirror, I would say, well, how do you feel today, this week and this week? Mm -hmm. How are things going? And for someone that came to me, I would really get a great understanding in how they feel before I know how they're eating and what their meals are going to be like. Because that is the first thing that we tackle on, as I said earlier. And then we have a conversation going into their food meals, just the conversation in what they're eating, how they're preparing their meals, how they're getting it, um, and what that scene surrounding the meal is at the table. Are they eating? Um, did they just have a divorce and they're eating alone? They're buying food from the convenience store or from a fast food just to get through the day because maybe they're trying to be busier than or is it, you know, a family meal where they might just be making, you know, like Taco Tuesday, which I'm not downing Taco Tuesday. I love Taco Tuesday. But if it's not the best uh, ingredients for some or if it's, you know, Burger Wednesday and then going out Thursday, they might have uh, a very happy relationship with their family. Their food might not be. So then we come to the meal planning of convenience. How convenient is it to eat what they're eating at the moment versus what they want to be eating? And then kind of just seeing their actions and, and the way going forward and how determined they are of wanting it, how growth-minded they are. And if it seems like they're wanting and aware to be eating better, that first step is to at least be giving that um, conversation, but, you know, lightly prompting up the conversation in food. And then they ask a very light question. And what do you think about uh, this type of food? Or what do you think about carbs or fats or, y you know, just some light prompt. And really, we come to the underlying reason for their frustration, for their question, for their concern, because they've heard something on the radio no one listens to the radio. 
but they heard something on the TV or a commercial a or from another friend, a family member, a podcast. They heard something from a podcast and they just wanted some kind of confirmation. But those that are really growth minded want to learn, want to improve their body, not just to be confirmed. Um, career coaching, job coaching, there's a steady line between your, and this is at least how I see it, between your work relationship and your personal relationship with food. And if they're out of sync, then they're not going to perform their work very well. They're going to struggle a little in their stress level, in their energy level, in their emotional stability or in emotional gratitude and bringing that back into balance in very easy, simple, convenient, cheap steps, but powerful steps, those little steps, will really allow them to become freer within themselves, but also to be more at peace. You know, Hippocrates said if, um, I think it was Hippocrates who said something that if, um, uh, about if the diet is correct, medicine is of no need. And I know that isn't a, an across the board blanket statement that isn't 100% true, but it is a big piece of maintaining a healthy body and maintaining a healthy life and being able to um, stay energetic and vibrant and strong um, and fight off whatever may be coming at us. That's right. You know, when you talk about medicine, you know, it's understanding that if we are choosing to medicate, so to speak, with food in mm -hmm. a negative way, mm -hmm. that has more to do with our emotions than anything else. And so yeah. when we're talking about, you know, this is a full whole body approach, right? Because if right. we are medicating with food in a negative way, it's because our mind isn't right. And if our mind isn't right, that greatly impacts everything else that we do to the tune of our attitude, to the tune of the food choices. We present ourselves into this world and how we look at ourselves in the mirror. It has such a great impact on us. And so when we talk about food relationships, is just to become the most aware that you can. And that can be through journaling, that can be through identifying, that can be through our language, and it can be through these choices if you know something is going to make you feel bad, right? You generally choose not to do it. But for some reason, that seems to negate itself when it comes to the manner of Ooh. food, Yep. right? Mm -hmm. So we are negating that self for ourselves. It becomes this punishing, I have been bad or I have been good. And so I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve this. Do I? Because I'm just kidding myself and I'm not being honest with myself either. So if you were to, and this might be hard at first, but it can be very enlightening to take your emotion out of your food. If you are feeling an emotion, don't eat. And I say that sort of tongue in cheek, understand the emotion, become aware of the emotion. Mm. What are you, what is it saying to you? What is it trying to fill? And this could be it, it, it's more about just being like that mindful approach to it too, mm -hmm. being very aware of what's happening and understanding it for yourself because it doesn't do anybody good to understand it for somebody else. It's a very individual thing. Yeah. Don't punish yourself with food. Don't reward yourself with food. Become a consciously aware. And when you're aware, I think then you can see where it fits and where it doesn't fit.
you know? And if it does fit to become emotionally attached to food in that moment, understand it and own it and move the hell on. Yeah. Because it doesn't define you, you know? Food is so important. It has a cause and it has an effect to everything in our life. Yes. Every food choice we make has a cause and effect. We can drown ourselves thinking about every food choice. Or we can just do our best and be honest with ourselves and be proud of who we are, proud of the choices that we can make because we do have all of these choices. We don't have to have the cookies. We don't have to have the broccoli, right? I was, I was talking with one of my friends at the gym and we were, well, I'm currently competing at the CrossFit Open and I looked at him and I was like, you know what? I really wish I was 10 pounds lighter, you know, because I'm for the first workout, I'm working out a, on a handstand hold, walking towards the wall, you know, the so I'm. Climbs. Yep. So I'm, I'm literally holding my body weight. And, you know, right now I feel like 10 pounds less would have been great. But we looked at each other and we were joking about it. And, and he actually looks at me and he's like, you know what? I thought so too. But at the same time, I kind of enjoy, you know, having a good time cooking food with my family and having a beer every now and then. So I'm actually okay with my body. And I, and I looked at him and, and said, you're totally right. You know, sometimes you got to make peace with our actions and what, with our decisions. Yeah. Not because it's a wrong thing to do. It's because you choose to enjoy those little things and the outcome or the consequences should not be dramatically negative. Right. Instead, you just make peace with it mm-hmm. and you it's enjoy becoming- aware becoming yeah. honest and becoming mm-hmm. purposeful yes yeah. it totally affects your quality of life and one of my favorite infographics that um, precision nutrition put out is called the cost of getting lean mm-hmm. and when you look at what is required to maintain a specific amount of lean lean tissue in your body do you really really want that six pack ab you know those six pack abs do you really because if you do, you have to know what's required to do that. And if you, if you want to live life and enjoy festivities and vacations and restaurant meals and, you know, occasional planned indulgences with your friends and family, then don't worry about the six pack abs. Nobody cares. And I don't, I think it's a matter of two, a food relationship equates to a, um, a visual on ourselves and how we want to look or, you know, because if you look at somebody who goes to the gym five days a week, has a six pack, has traps, you know, has all of these wonderful components, their muscles are just geeking out. They have an unhealthy relationship with food. Not necessarily. I so. you, ta- you Well, not necessarily because, but they sometimes... put rigors on it for the most yeah. part, right? Yeah. When you look at bodybuilders, I'm talking about bodybuilders. I'm not talking about yeah. people who have, a body, I, I, I should have been clear. I'm talking about bodybuilders. Yeah. They generally have an unhealthy relationship with food because they've put more into their physical appearance. Yeah. Because it means that much. I mean, to sustain a six pack for the course of five years. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell my, personally, my story is my husband before me, before he was married to me. He was married to other people? No. <laughs> he was in a cult. Yeah. <laughs> he had seven wives. A Mark, sex number cult. seven. <laughs> Can oh, I yeah. continue? <laughs> so my husband before we were married, um, he was really into his physical appearance and he would go to the gym like five hours a day. And uh, I can definitely relate to, to what you're saying because he actually, and I wouldn't say he had a, an unhealthy relationship with food. He was just taught by this dietitian or bodybuilder guy that his meals needed to be like a, huge ton of egg whites in the morning mm -hmm. and then just either fish or chicken with rice and broccoli for uh you know for his lunch and for his dinner and that was it he didn't know anything else about food he didn't know what was a sauce you know right. or even a salad Or, or nothing. And, and I wouldn't say it wasn't unhealthy. It was just what he knew worked and what, what he did every day. But he attached an emotion to a physical appearance. Very. Like I, and see, and I think that that's where it becomes unhealthy, is attaching an emotion to how your physical, right? Like I'm attaching, yeah. I will feel great when I have a six pack. I will feel great if I'm 10 pounds lighter. I will feel great. If you know, and you see some of these people in the gym and they're like, well, my, my, you know, my latissimus dorsi isn't 12 inches. It's only nine. And you're like, I'm not sure that that's a thing, but it is to them. Yeah. And so they've attached this emotion to a physical appearance. Yeah. And that's when I say it becomes, because again, you've put yourself in this box of emotions and these rigors that you can't. Look at the rock. requires. Well, it requires you to exclude people and it requires I, you to exclude relationships. It requires you to yeah. exclude, exclude so much, activities. you yeah. know, if you look at the rock and the only reason why I highlight this is because, you know, I follow him on Instagram. The rock is a force. He is gigantic. He has a bubbling personality. What I don't necessarily care for is every Sunday he posts his cheat meal. Yeah. When you say cheat meal, you have already presented this as a, as a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Or a negative Doing something wrong. Thing. Right. I am going to enjoy my cheat meal. It sounds awesome. It sounds great. But then also it, be, it begs the question of what does that feel like? If he's been so good and not had sugar and only had, you know, chicken breast and egg whites, you know, who knows how much he eats? He probably eats like 5,000 calories. But, but my point is this. And then he you know, indulges in pancakes and cookies and, mm -hmm. and all of these things that his body's not used to. What else does that feel like, you know? Yeah. But the minute we say, this is my cheat meal, I've been good, I'm going to have this. Yeah. You've put in that, you've you threw, unbalanced. Yeah, you threw every, every, every good thing you did during the week, you threw it through the trip, you know? Well, and it's, it's just, just the whole, the whole use of good or bad. Right. Yeah. In that right. premise. 
It just puts right. it right back into that loop again. Exactly. Right. And somehow that word cheating is okay when we come to food, but I don't like sit down to a board game and like, well, I'm totally going to cheat or, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat. But somehow that cheat. Word this is, is with okay. a five-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Sometimes I do cheat. But in a relationship with, but it's or totally in your job, fine. you're not going to yeah. commit fraud or forgery no. with a job. But you do. And that becomes, again, you know, that's that unbalanced relationship that you have with food, you know? And so and the emotion of cheat is that that's always a little complicated, too, because is cheat your view into a reality that you want to live in? Or is the cheat just that glimpse of opening your eyes and then you're having your eyes shut for the rest of the week? Just wanting to eat well or do well yeah. for some right, external means. And last week we talked about um, internal and external. I'm going to message The Rock and call him a cheater and see what he says. He's going <laughs> to say, no, I'm not a cheater. I'm going to say, what do you mean? You cheat every Sunday. And I bet yeah. you he doesn't identify as a cheater, but yet... It becomes that way. And this is no disrespect toward him. It's merely because he has so many followers. Sure. And, you know, we have a responsibility in, in that regard. And that's the only reason why I'm bringing this yeah. up. Please well, follow the us and it, it, it implies getting away with something. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I did this equals that. So because I did this, then I get that. Yeah. We talked about a lot of different things when it comes to food relationships. But, you know, I think one of the overwhelming, you know, pieces of advice or, you know, a theme that we kept coming back to, and I, and I heard it through the four of us too, is just, again, becoming consciously aware and take it in baby steps. Don't listen to our podcast and decide today is a day that everything's going to change and you're going to have a healthy relationship with food because that doesn't do it either, right? No. It's just about becoming aware. And again, if you hear this podcast and later on in the day, you choose the best option for you, you've made yourself 1% better, which is always yep. our goal. And thank you all for listening to our podcast. As always, we really enjoy these conversations and we hope you do as well. And again, if you can come out of this being 1% better, even a half percent better, we've done our job. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Margaret, Julie, Tiffany, and myself. Keep updated for the latest deep health, nutritious conversations. If you're already successful in the health and well-being industry, a coach, practitioner, trainer, marketer, the esoteric, and other related career passions with a thriving business and have an interesting story, we'd love to hear from you. 